Good morning, church family. I'm glad to see everyone out this morning. I uh, wanted to just to make a quick, uh, quick comment really fast, something I had forgotten to do. Um, I had put out a, a text message just last week. This is in regards to the, the worship at the park that we've got going on. I do want to remind everybody, Janine has it in our bulletin, so if you want all the details about it. Um, but this is one that, I, that I've been working on uh, quite a bit. Several other people have been working on. But I want to point out a couple things really quick so that we can have some reminders. Um, it's going to be October the 16th at 1030. Uh, and we're asking everyone to bring... Now, there'll be, I, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some picnic tables down there. And, uh, but we ask you to bring a, a lawn chair or a, a camp chair in case there's not a place to sit. Um, but it's a bring your own lunch. So bring a brown baguette or bring, bring something for a, a picnic, if you will. And uh, what we're asking you to do is bring a dessert uh, along with that to put on a dessert table, which we'll share with everyone. Um, another thing that we're asking everyone to bring is if you're, if you're bringing kids, or, or if you want to do it, I don't care, anybody can do it, but if you, we're going to have pumpkin painting. Um, so bring a small pumpkin, for each one for each of your kids. Maybe bring a couple extra in case we have some in the community that show up. Um, this is going to be going out in, over the whole community, so hopefully this will be an opportunity for um, uh, people in our community to show up. So we're going to have a little extra food, a little extra pumpkins and stuff set aside just in case we have some that show up and, and doesn't have anything. Um, kids, we're also going to have hayride. Uh, so make sure you are there. Bring a friend if you want to, but we want this to be just kind of a fun uh, community day to, to focus on the Lord, focus on our family, focus on our community. Um, but I did want to remind you guys that it's in here. Now, this week uh, for some volunteers because right after church, right after lunch rather, uh, we're going to take a small group out, whoever wants to go, and uh, we're going to have some flyers, and we're just going to put some flyers up around town, all right? Um, so if you would like to do that after worship, after service, uh, just meet me up here up front, okay? And we'll organize that today. We're going to just put, I don't know, maybe a hundred or so flyers out there uh, just to kind of get, get the word out a little bit more, all right? Um, Last week, as I was thinking about the, the sermon for this morning, I was reminded of uh, an old sermon illustration. And, and this is one that I've used many, many times in the past, but it's a, it's a good one, I think, because um, it illustrates really well um, the transformation that takes place in our lives as Christians. Let me see if you guys have ever seen it before. I'm sure you have. But uh, it's the illustration of a caterpillar, right? We've all heard this one. Uh, a caterpillar, it's interesting, Luke, you were talking to the kids earlier, you about seasons, right? Um, well, in the, the life stages of a caterpillar, it has different seasons of life, doesn't it? Um, you think about the, the cocoon stage. This is where it has its, its uh, not cocoon, but when it first, when, it first, when a, a, a caterpillar, when, a, when it lays eggs, when it first comes out, when it has its first birth, um, it's earthborn, right? It's earthborn. It's a worm. It can't fly, it can't go anywhere, it can't do anything. It has a, a different kind of life. Um, but that something happens along the way in the life of this little worm. Um, so at some point, he starts to uh, develop a hunger, insatiable hunger. It starts eating like crazy. And it, it doesn't know this yet, but the reason why it starts to have this hunger on the inside of it is because its body, its biology on the inside, is preparing it for the next season of its life which is going to be what's called the chrysalis stage. Now, Colby, you went on chrysalis, which was a weekend retreat. It's kind of the same idea. It's the, the same concept. So it enters into this chrysalis stage. Now, what happens here is that um, this is the time when it's going to be transformed. 
It's going to transform from one thing to something else. And if you think about it, that's kind of like how it works with the Holy Spirit, isn't it? You have this unbeliever, and they don't know about the things of God, they don't care about the things of God, but the Holy Spirit, and one of the things that we've seen all along the way, is that the Holy Spirit is always doing what? He's always working on people. He's always working on people's hearts. He's always working to bring conviction of sin in people's lives and point them toward Jesus Christ. Well, just like that worm, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, gets an insatiable hunger for the things of God, I've seen time and time again, maybe in your own life, there was some point along the way where you started to notice the things of God, where you started getting hungry for the things of God. I remember for me when I didn't know, uh, I didn't know anything about Christ, but it was that Bible that I had pulled out of the dumpster and it sat on my shelf for a long time. And when the Holy Spirit started working on my heart, it was almost like I had an appetite for the things of God. And I started reading the Bible and reading and reading and reading and reading. I did not have time but God was preparing me for the next stage, for the chrysalis level, if you will, of my spiritual growth. Now, the, the chrysalis is when the caterpillar becomes encased in a, in a protective covering. And it's, it's while this caterpillar is hidden place of a cocoon that a miraculous transformation begins to take place. Now, we've seen in this sermon series so far over the last four months that since the beginning, God has been pursuing you with His presence. Ever since the very beginning of time, He's been pursuing us with His presence. And His will is that you learn how to encounter God. Have we all agreed on that so far? He wants you to encounter Him. He wants you to have an experience of His presence. And the reason why He wants you to experience His presence in your life is because God knows that's the best thing for you. You were created to live in God's presence, but because of sin, we've lived outside of God's presence. But because of Christ, we're being brought back into God's presence. Well, what happens when we're in God's presence? See, this is why we teach people how to encounter the Holy Spirit. This is why we teach 95.5 time, because it's, it's, it's that place where you get to go into the hidden place with God. It's that place where you get to hide away into the, to the enclave, if you will, to, to sit in the presence of God, to pursue, to focus on His presence. Well, what have we said so far that happens when we encounter God's presence? We change. We transform. You can't be in the presence of God, not be different on the other side of that experience. And so that's why for me in my personal life, this is why I teach others that every chance you get, any chance you get, get away and be alone in the presence of God because it's through His presence that we are changed. Now, listen to this. I've used the, the caterpillar illustrations a lot of times over the years. Probably been a little bit over, overused at times. But it wasn't until recently, and, and I'm sure this was by happenstance, I came across an article in the National Geographic that went into detail about the chrysalis stage. And I had to read it because I'd used the illustrations so many times in sermons, but I was really curious. What actually occurs? All the way up until this point, the only way to know what happens in a chrysalis stage was to take a, um, a cocoon and, and cut it in half or x-ray it. And the only problem is, is that if you do either one of those two things, it kills the bug. It kills the bug, maybe the bug, you know what I'm saying. It kills the, kills the worm, kills the caterpillar, okay? But what they did, what these researchers did, is they did a micro CT scan and they literally were able to watch the entire process. And I thought this was really interesting. I want to read to you a little quote from somebody. This was one of the, the researchers. 
If I can get it to work, it's going to do that thing again where it goes really fast, I bet. No, it didn't. There we go. Now listen to this. According to this article, and it's so amazing, it turns out that what happens when you're inside that cocoon, it's radical. It's not a tweaking of the genetic information that's there. Oh, no, no, no. It literally is completely changing from one thing to something else. Listen to what this researcher said. It's fascinating. He says, new research shows that the insect's makeover is a mix, watch this, of destruction of old ways of being and thinking combined with brand new ways of being and thinking. And the article notes that certain cells die and body parts atrophy. Meanwhile, other cells in place since birth rapidly expand. He says, and he concludes this article, he says, the adult emerges from the cocoon, from the cocoon completely remodeled, capable of flight, and possessing a completely rewired brain. Is that not a picture of the transformation that Jesus does inside of every single one of us? You think about that, it's incredible. And that's the way it is to be with you and me. When we become Christians, we die to our old selves. We die to everything that we once was. We are born again. And because we're born again, we adopt a new way of thinking. We read our Bibles. We look at what the Bible says about this, that, and other. We rewire our brains through the washing and renewal of the Word. Old sins begin to fall off. New holy behaviors begin to be lived out. We become rewired. Christ remodels us. And so if you think about it, uh, in that stage, if you will, when a Christian is learning how to walk in the Holy Spirit, when they're learning how to live the abundant life, when they're experiencing the fruit and the abundance of the Holy Spirit in their lives, you could say that they have entered the butterfly season, if you will. They've taken if you will. Now, I bring all of that up this morning because if you remember last Sunday, we began to get started in this process of, of wrapping up this, uh, this entire sermon series. And we've gone through this whole thing, uh, through the whole Bible. We've been trying to literally just go through the whole Bible and look at what does the Bible teach us about the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the Holy Spirit and what the Bible had to say about Him from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament. We looked at what the Holy Spirit is described like in the prophets and how it promised about a new day that was coming when not only would the Holy Spirit work on people, but would work in people. We turned to the New Testament. We saw how the Holy Spirit operated in the Gospels and in the life of Jesus. We saw Jesus as the trailblazer, the very first human being filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in the Holy Spirit. So he becomes the example, if you will, for us to be able to follow later. And then we got into the book of Acts. And then the last week we looked at the Holy Spirit, when it came as the gift of God, when it came as the presence of, uh, of God in the church. And so now we're here. Let me see if I can get my laser pointed to work. Here we are. We're right here on God's timeline of redemption. And in, in the Bible, we could say that this portion right here is the letters. Anything after the book of Acts, Romans through Revelation. Well, let me tell you something. Who knows that we could probably spend the next 12 months looking at all those passages, right, about the Holy Spirit. We're not going to do that. Uh, we're not going to do that, but here's what we're going to do. Last week, we started asking the question, what did the Holy Spirit mean for the early church? Because here's what I wanted to do in this study. I took the rest of the writings of the New Testament from the book of Acts on, and I said, okay, look at every single passage in the New Testament. What did the Holy Spirit mean for the first century church? Because if you can determine what it meant for them, 
Well, guess what? You can determine what it should mean for us today, right? If nothing has changed, which we'll talk about that too next week. Um, well, obviously we don't have the time to look at every single one, but I do want to point out a couple things. I want to read a couple passages. Um, if you remember last week, we looked at this up here. Let me go to the next slide. Oh my goodness, I can't get it to work today. Okay. All right, there we go. Um, last week, we said that when you look at the work of the Holy Spirit, now this is from Acts to Revelation. If you take every single passage, and I, want, and I challenge you to do this, because this is just the fruit of my study, okay? So I may be wrong. You challenge me on that. Go back and read it for yourself, okay? But if you take Acts through Revelation, all the rest of the passages of the New Testament that have to do with the church and what does the Spirit mean for the church, I found three main things that the Spirit provides for the church in the first century. And I think he provides the same three things today. Last week, we looked at the first one, his presence. How that, that's the whole reason that God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. That entire story that you saw a moment ago is the story of God chasing you with His presence. His presence was in the Garden of Eden. We lost that. What did God do? God chases you. He chases us in that. He All throughout the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, what is that? That's to create a holy place for His presence. His presence was in the tabernacle. Then it was in the temple. Then His presence was in Jesus Christ. And then when Jesus Christ died and was raised, His presence is now where? In the temple. Again. Which is who? Us. And all of this is moving toward what? The eschaton, if we will. That's what theologians like to call it. Uh, the last days. In other words, all of this is moving us toward a time when Jesus returns and once again we will be in His presence. The whole Bible is about the presence of God. The whole Scripture is about whether we are in His presence or out of His presence. The whole work of redemption is all about Him doing what it takes so that we can be in His presence. The whole book of Revelation is all about wrapping up the whole drama of God. Why? So that we can be in His presence. And so one of the things that we witnessed last Sunday as we looked at the first century church in the book of Acts is that we saw that a Spirit-filled church was the normal experience of the church. It was not to be an every now and then kind of experience. It was a normative experience for the church in the book of Acts. I believe it should be normative today. I know that makes me sound strange. But I think we should be living in the miraculous every single day. Now, what is the purpose of God manifesting His presence in the church? What's the purpose of spiritual encounters? Is it because we can have cool stories to tell? Some people like that. No. It's not so you can have cool stories to tell about God's experiences. The purpose of encountering God, now listen to this, if you don't remember anything or write anything else down, write this down, this is key. The purpose of encountering God is so you can be transformed. The purpose of encountering God is so you can be transformed. God gives you experiences with Him because He knows exactly what you need to experience with Him so He can teach you lessons that you would otherwise never be able to learn had you not had the experience. And through those experiences, through those encounters, you begin to transform, you begin to change. Um, and by the way, as you go down through this, as He provides His presence, we receive transformation. As we receive transformation, He then provides gifts. What? For the body and for the mission. We'll talk about the gifts next week uh, when we get ready to wrap up this part of the sermon series, okay? So let's talk about the next one here. Let's talk about transformation a little bit. 
The process of transformation in the Bible kind of follows on a timeline, if you will. When you and I become Christians, when you and I submit to baptism and we receive the Holy Spirit, that's called your justification. That's when you've been justified in Christ. That's Jesus paying the penalty for your sins, okay? Another word that we use is regeneration. What does that mean? That means that you were dead before you became a Christian, right? Spiritually speaking. But when you submitted to Christ, he regenerated you. He placed a brand new spirit inside of you. That meant that the Holy Spirit came inside of you and gave you life. Spiritually speaking, you had no life before you knew Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So it begins with regeneration. I've been made alive in Christ. He's placed his principle of life inside of me. He's given me a new spirit on the inside of me. Now, from that day forward, you and I go through a process of what's called a process of transformation. Um, and, and this is the time that God is using the, the Holy Spirit on the inside of you to mold you, to shape you into the people that God has called us to be. And of course, all of this is leading us toward what one day? Our glorification. Now, what does it mean to be glorified? Well, right now, you and I have the Holy Spirit inside of us giving us spiritual life, right? We're being transformed and changed. On the inside, our qualities, who we are, is starting to look more and more like Jesus Christ. But on the outside, we still live in this outer shell, right? And it's getting old, it's getting aged, it's getting diseased, and one day it's going to die. But here's the, here's the promise. Because you've got the Spirit living inside of you, one day, even if your body dies, the Spirit is going to take control of even your body. Even your body. And your body itself will be reanimated. Not just your spirit on the inside reanimated like it is now. One day your body's going to be reanimated. You're going to receive a body just like Jesus. I'm excited for that one. I tell my kids, how cool would it be that you're going to have a body that can walk through walls and walk on water and still chow down on breakfast in the morning? That's cool stuff, man. Marvel can't come up with anything better than that. You know what I'm saying? So... That's the process. Now, as we said, we could look at a lot of passages that talk about transformation. The Bible is so full of passages that talk about transformation. Pretty much any writer in the New Testament, from Acts on, when he writes to a church, he's writing to them things. Number one, remember Christ. Remember what he's done for you. As a result of that, and as a result of his life living inside of you through the presence of the Spirit, now, as a Christian, do this. Live this. Don't do this. Or live this way in that circumstance. Let me give you a couple of examples. We'll take Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The idea there is that once we fell from God, we fell from the glory of God, but as we, as we witness Christ as we focus on Christ, as we put our hearts and minds on Christ, as we witness His glory through the Word, through the Spirit, through uh, our, our general experience in the church, guess what happens over time? From glory to glory to glory, we become more and more and more and more like Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, has the same kind of idea. He says, Do not conform, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a big difference between conforming and transforming. I've heard it said one time by a preacher, by a preacher one time, he says the church is 
example of two creatures, either caterpillars or um, what, what's the, oh, I done forgot it. What's the little lizard that changed, chameleons. He said the church is either full of chameleons or caterpillars. And I said, why is that? He said, because caterpillars, he said, even though they're one thing, when the spirit gets a hold of them, they'll take flight, they become something else. Chameleons never change. They just change the outward appearance to look like those around them. Big difference between the two, okay? So do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And by the way, I should have mentioned this earlier, but in Greek, the word for transformation or transform is metamorpho, from which we get the word metamorphosis, the same word that's used for the caterpillar, right? It's the same word, so I thought I'd throw that in there. So one of the key reasons why the Holy Spirit was so important to the life of the early church was because they knew that it was the Holy Spirit that provided both presence and his power and that it was the Spirit that enabled them to live the holy life that Jesus told them to live and to be empowered to carry out the mission that Jesus told them to carry out. You see, for example, another passage in Romans chapter 8. I want you to turn over there with me this morning. Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. I want you, actually, I want you to back up to Romans 7. We're going to get a little bit of context here. But Paul, up until this point, in Romans 1 through 7, he's been making one big point. If you were to take Romans 1 through 8, here's what he's trying to say. Gentiles are under sin. Jews, even though they have the law, he would say we because he was a Pharisee, right? So even though we have the law, we're also under sin. And then he gets to all the way to chapter 5 and 6 and right into the point where we get to chapter 7. And he's making the point that because of sin, all are sinners, all need Jesus, all need the gift of salvation. Everyone needs the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the argument that he's making so far. And then in Romans chapter 7, he's bringing as a, he's talking about it as a matter of principle. He's trying to describe what life was like with him as a Jew under the law without the Holy Spirit. Okay? This also sounds exactly like a Christian who lives in legalism who tries to do church without the Holy Spirit. You're going to get the same exact results. Do you hear me? Okay? So he's describing in chapter 7 what his pre-Christian days looked like. And then in chapter 8, he's going to share with you the solution. What resolved it? How it changed? What Jesus did to, to make everything different? Okay? So let's read chapter 7 together. Chapter 7, let's start at verse 14. Chapter 7, verse 14. He says, we know that the law of Moses is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do for what I want to do. I don't do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree the law is good. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living inside of me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Can anybody identify with that? Right? That's how I was, man. If I was in religiosity, I was like the throes of addiction in church. When I was being told, if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. This was my life. 
The thing that I want to do, I don't do. The thing I don't want to do, I do. In other words, it takes more than just knowing right and wrong to live the Christian life. You can't successfully, consistently choose what is good if you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you're practicing religion. That's it. Now, verse 21. Keep reading with me. Skip to 21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Stop right there. See, it takes more than just your mind to overcome sin. My mind agrees, but the sinful nature overcomes it all the time. CR people, you guys know what I'm talking about when it comes to addiction. This is, this is describing addiction to a T. It's the struggle that every Christian has with sin. The, the, the key to, to overcoming sin is Holy Spirit. Just keep reading with me, okay? So what did God do? See, this is why we have the new covenant. The conundrum is, when God gave His law the first time, was it good or bad? It was good. Everything in God's law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law itself. The problem is not the law. The problem is sin. The problem is us. The problem is not the law which is external to us. The problem is that which is internal to us, the sinful nature that we have. Like it said in verse 18, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. And I want you to circle that verse, underline it, verse 18. I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. Outside of having the miraculous uh, intercession of the Spirit inside of you, there is no good in you. None. Zero. You may try to do good. You may be a nice guy on the outside, but genuinely speaking, you don't have good inside of you if you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you don't have good Himself living inside of you. Okay? Okay. Verse 25. I love this. But thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the answer to the problem is not going back into Judaism and trying harder and coming up with more rules and trying to figure out even more and giving yourself even you know, a, a, more of an umph to get it done. No, no, no. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, Jesus provides the solution. So how does he provide the solution? He provides the solution by dying for us, forgiving us of our sins, placing his Holy Spirit inside of us, um, and, and when he does so, by the way, the Holy Spirit, is he good? Just do this, don't do this, say yes. Okay, the Holy Spirit is good. Now, because of what Jesus has done, now you've got good himself coming to live on the inside of you. And he writes the law in our hearts, and then he enables us through the Spirit to live out God's ways. Now watch what he says. Follow the logic in chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there's, a, there's an important theological principle you need to learn when you study Scripture. The therefore is always there for a reason. You ever heard that? Therefore. In other words, taking into account everything we've said since chapter 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Stop right there. Why was the law powerless? Because of the flesh. You've got to overcome the flesh. You can't do that on your own. If you could, you would have done it already, right? (laughs) Right? Okay. So that's why you have to have God's Spirit come inside to deal with the flesh so that you can live the intent of the law. Keep reading with me. So God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who don't live according to the flesh, but who live according to what? The Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit's desires. See, when you're walking in the Spirit, you reorder your life. You get up in the morning. You get on your knees. You start your day off with prayer. You go to work. You keep Scripture in your mind, playing at all times. Maybe you've got worship music playing in the background because your atmosphere is different than everybody else's atmosphere. You focus on God throughout your day. Instead of living our lives focused on self, on earthly things, now we focus our attention on 95.5 time. Spending daily alone time with God. Now we spend our time daily getting into God's Word, meditating on God's Word. Now we get involved at church. Now we serve at church. Now we try to reach out to people out in the community. We've reordered our lives to seek the presence of the Holy Spirit. Keep reading with me, verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit life because of righteousness and if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead is living in you who he who raised christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you so again like we saw earlier um, the holy spirit is 100 percent in charge of our justification he's the one who is behind our regeneration he's the one that placed the new spirit inside of us He's the one that came to live on the inside of us. He's the one that's in charge of your sanctification. It's interesting. He tells the Galatian church, Paul tells the Galatian church, you guys are so silly. How in the world did you start off in the spirit and think you're going to finish off by the flesh? (laughs) He says, man, you keep on walking in the spirit. That's how you're going to finish, right? He produces the work of holiness inside of you. If you've got a desire to do good, it ain't because of you, it's because he put it there. If you have a desire to overcome sin and say no to that addiction for the first time in your life, I guarantee you it did not come from you. It came from the work of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. It is all part of the Holy Spirit's process of transformation. And he's working toward a goal. He's working toward a goal. The Bible says that when Jesus Christ returns, he is looking for a church that is radiant and white, and prepared for her husband. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing with his church. He's trying to get the bride ready for the coming of the husband. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13 says this. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. As we close this morning, Paul says, in light of the incredible work of the Spirit in our lives as Christians, he says, we have an obligation. And that's what I want to leave you with this morning. The obligation that you and I have. Here we are, we're living in this incredible place of grace. You realize that right now. You are sitting in an incredible place of privilege. Because if you're in Christ, the Bible says that you are in His grace. God has wiped away all of your sins. Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, God is allowing you to sit in this place right now and not take into account any of your sins. That alone is incredible, amen? But why is He doing that? He's allowing us to enjoy this grace of having no condemnation against us to give us space and room to grow in a relationship with the Holy Spirit so that we can be changed on the inside. The question is, what are we doing with the time that we have? Are we stepping on grace and living life selfishly and doing whatever we want to do? Or are we respecting the grace that God has given us and allowing grace, like it says in the book of Titus, to teach us how to say no to sin. To give us new, changed feelings and emotions on the inside. To do a work in us so that He changes our thoughts and our habits. So that He molds us and shapes us into the image of Christ. So that in the end, we look like Him. We talk like Him. We serve like Him. So we've got an obligation. What's our obligation this morning? Surrender our lives Seek the presence of the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to do the work of transformation in us. Sometimes we get in the way. We need to let Him do His work. Paul again talked about this obligation that you and I have, and he he said it like this, and I'm going to close with these words. They're they're very well-read words, but they're very true with what we're talking about. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. See, that's what some people do. They say, I've got grace. I'm so thankful that I'm forgiven. Now I can go do more. That's not not a true understanding of God's grace. A true understanding of God's grace is, oh my goodness, I'm in this place where I'm not being condemned with my sins. I don't have to feel shame and guilt. Now I can go get to work on allowing the Spirit to change me. Here's what he says. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love because the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbors yourself. If you bite and devour one another, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For if, you, for if the, the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh, they're in conflict with one another so that you're not able to do what you want, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warned you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things as these, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. All right. Well, that's all I have for this morning. I want to, uh, to offer the invitation to you. Um, if you, and I've done this several times, if you need to respond to the invitation for baptism, we have the waters ready. Um, this is very simple. Okay, if you, have a, if you have faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, you can put him on in Christ, put on Christ in baptism. That's not hard. The, the second thing that I'm putting out there is an invitation for you just to say, hey, listen, I want to engage more with the Holy Spirit. I realize that this gift has been given to me. I may not have known about it up until now, but literally everything that God has done for you through Christ is so that you can have a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. So if you want more of his presence in your life or if you need to be baptized, Come forward right now as we stand and sing.